love so amazing and so divine gets me every time. Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to our Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, make us eager to hear, make us eager to learn, and make us eager to be obediently and joyfully um, desirous to do all that you want us to do and to become, under the word that Pastor Andrew brings us this morning, more like you. We would ask that you would give Pastor Andrew a bold spirit and a clarity of mind and heart as he proclaims your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Over the course of our travels this summer, one of the places that we uh, landed as a family was the Palace Chateau de Versailles, Palace of Versailles uh, in France. I'm sure some of you have been there. It was probably, you know, the various things that we saw, one of the more breathtaking things. It places over the top in, in every way in terms of the the gilded ornamentation from the very gates when you walk in to inside, the statuary, uh, the gardens are, are just incredible. Uh, you've got the Hall of Mirrors, which is very famous, and uh, again, just over the top. Why? Well, here's what the Encyclopedia Britannica says about the palace at Versailles. Under the guidance of Louis XIV, 
who was, uh, I think, the world's longest reigning monarch. Uh, the residence was transformed from what was a hunting lodge into an immense and extravagant complex surrounded by stylized French and English gardens. Every detail of its construction was intended to glorify the king. The additions were designed by renowned architects, the interior decoration by renowned decorators, landscape artists created French, uh, symmetrical French gardens that included ornate fountains with magically still water expressing the power of the king over nature. Uh, everything in the palace designed to glorify the king. That's actually quite common. Uh, oftentimes when uh, kings would have victories, they would build a monument or have a monument built or some sort of, uh, some sort of lasting uh, testimony to their greatness, to their, to their power, through, to who they are. And that's actually true. Uh, here in Ephesians. Uh, what we've learned as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is that Ephesians chapter 1 is the great testimony to who God is and what He, do, and what he has done. Uh, at the end of chapter 1, we have seen that He is far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Everything is under His feet. He is the head of all things. And what is the monument to the victory of God? It is the church. Uh, he has given him as a head over all things to the church. We saw that at the end of chapter 1, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then in verse 19 of chapter 22, Paul comes back and he says, you know, the victory of God, he's brought us from death to life, the victory of God. He's torn down the dividing walls. He's destroyed sort of our label-making hearts as we talked about last week. But the victory of God is, is commemorated. The victory of God is exhibited in the glory of the church. Now, for some of you, that, that may seem like uh, a really hard thing to get your mind around. You've uh, had bad experiences with the church, or even in best of situations, you see the church's flaws in the way that she operates and goes forward. Uh, we're in a, a time in our uh, in life right now where there are so many you know ex-evangelicals, people who have have left the church because of disappointments with the church and we think well, what does Paul mean like yeah how could this possibly be true how could this misfit group of people in terms of you know an earthly manifestation even if we believe in sort of this heavenly unity how how could this be the glory of God? How could this be the lasting monument 
to the victory of God. Well, I want to walk through that with you this morning and, and see what Paul is saying, see if we can understand it a little bit more, uh, and, and see if God will move our hearts uh, even for a greater love of His church on this Reformation Day, uh, Reformation Sunday. So, couple of things. Just as we move into the, uh, the outline, I, I messed up. Point two is actually point one. Uh, so we're going to talk about fitly framed first. That was my mess up too, by the way. Office, you are exonerated. Uh, no, no deal there. Um, so fitly framed. It's also not fitly formed. Also my mistake. Uh, and that is coming out of the King James version of this passage where it talks about the, the, the stones uh, are brought together, uh, joined together is our translation here. In, in the King James, it, it's fitly framed. It's an interesting word. Paul, I can't, I mean, I can pronounce it, but it's really long. It's like three Greek words jammed together. It's what we call a hapex legomena. It's the only place where it is used in the New Testament. It might even be the only place it's used in all of ancient Greek literature uh, because Paul is trying to talk about the nature of this entity uh, is made up of people, individuals who have been brought and, and jammed together, just like he jammed together this word, uh, and, and they then live to the glory of God. So the imagery that Paul is using here when he talks about this is the imagery of a stonemason. Now, I don't know if any of you have seen a stonemason work. Uh, we were talking about it this week, and uh, Judy Vander Ark talked about time when they had a stonemason come in and, and do uh, the wall where their fireplace is. She has a lovely photo. You can ask her for it later. Uh, but she said it was amazing because the guy came in and just dumped a bunch of stones uh, on, on the ground, and you're looking at all of these things trying to imagine how they're going to be formed into a wall, uh, but then they, in their artistry and craft, take each individual stone and fit them into the wall. Back in the day, it was even more intricate than that because they, they had to go to the quarry, quarry, quarry? You say, make your choice. Uh, they had to go, and they had to cut these things out, and then they had to, you know, shape them either still at the quarry or at the quarry, at the quarry or at the job site, and then they had to fit them together, oftentimes without mortar. Uh, and, and that's the picture that Paul has given us of the church. And I think there are several, several things that we can highlight with this uh, that help us understand. One, Paul is saying that the, the church is a single entity, a wall, a building, a temple is the language that is here. It's a single entity made up of uh, a number of different individual constituent parts. Uh, they, they each uh, look a little bit different. They each have their own uh, characteristics. They each have been cut out. They've been hewn out 
You know, oftentimes when you read some of the commentators on that, they'll say uh, they, they have to be converted. They have to be uh, rescued, you know, drawn out by God, the master craftsman, their, their hearts uh, set aside for, for him. Uh, and, and then they have to be shaped, they have to be sanctified, they have to have the rough edges chopped off, they have to be molded in such a way that they can go into the wall. So there is an individuality, but there's also a unity, a cohesion as people come together. Uh, and that's the picture that Paul is giving us here. And this, of course, flows right out of what we talked about last week. You know, last week we talked about the second aspect of God's great victory. You know, first we talked about 1 to 10, the, the victory individually where we are brought from death to life. We are cut out. We are hewn from the quarry, and we are made into a stone for His purposes. Uh, and then secondly, we're, we talked about how the, the second aspect of this victory is that He has brought down this dividing wall of hostility, and He is making us one. We, we lose our label-makingness, uh, and, and we become unified in Christ. And, and the pictures then that Paul gives us here are of this wall, of this temple, whereby we begin to exist. And there, I think there are lots of things that we can practically apply. Again, I want to emphasize, you know, we, we called this uh, verse, chapters 1 to 3, a feast to enjoy. Uh, we're going to do chapter 4 to 6 a little bit later, and, and we're going to title that one, A Feast to Equip. Uh, 1 to 3 is all indicative. Uh, these are all truths. You know, so this is all what is true about our life. There, there are no imperatives uh, in chapters 1 to 3, and sometimes we, we want that, you know, tell us what to do right? But Paul's not telling us what to do here. He's saying, these are the things that God has done, which of course is very uh, apropos for Reformation Sunday, right? It's the things that God has done and is doing. So, he is taking a group uh, of disparate individuals uh, he is rescuing us from, and, and note here, he's rescuing us from, from being strangers and aliens, uh, from not belonging. I was struck by that this week uh, as I was just thinking about things in this world. I, I didn't have the, the most awesome week this week. It, it started out with um, the shooting in St. Louis, some of you saw that. Um, one of our PCA ruling elders is one of the principals at, at that school. We have friends of our family who, who were there at that school. So there was a personal aspect uh, to this particular shooting. I don't know if you, you read the, the quotes from Orlando Harris, who is the shooter, uh, at the Central Visual and Performing Arts High School. He said, I don't have any friends. I don't have any family. I've never had a girlfriend. I've never had a social life. I've been an isolated loner my entire life. 
and, and that was in a notebook that he had left. He, of course, uh, lost his life as well in the response to this. We just see that so much. Strangers and aliens. Uh, folks who are isolated, who are separated. Yeah, I, I thought about it not only in connection with, with this guy, obviously, who had a lot going on and their mental illness and, and so many different things, but even Taylor Swift. Uh, yes, we'll talk about her for a minute. Uh, she completely the opposite side of Orlando Harris. I mean, somebody who seemingly has everything in life. Uh, you know, money and fame and, you know, but just this series of, of relationships and heartache and always seeking to find something. Uh, she just had a new album come out, and, and one of the songs on there is called Antihero. She says, I wake up screaming from dreaming. One day I'll watch as you're leaving, and life will lose all its meaning for the last time. This is just a, an over and over and over thing for her. Then she says this in the chorus. She says, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Uh, there's just this depth of despair uh, that she as an artist, I think insightfully and very talentedly, can talk about, but there's no answers. There's nowhere to go with it. And even if you watch the music video that's connected with it, uh, the only answer there is to grab another drink uh, and, and to numb the pain. But that's not the picture that we have here. You know, here we're told strangers and aliens find a place in the wall. They're, they're fitly framed. They're hewed out. They're, they're brought in. They're shaped, they have a purpose, uh, they are joined together, they're growing, a and that's part of the monument, right? That's the glory of God. We'll come to this a little bit later. I mean, this is what God is doing, and this is what he says, this, this is my purpose, and this is why uh, I am worthy uh, of all your love and adoration and uh, submission. But it goes even further than that because it's not just the fact that God does this maybe on a horizontal or on a sociological level, level but notice the intimacy that is here as, as God uh, explains to us the beauty of this monument that exists for His glory. Uh, Paul begins uh, piling up the metaphors. You probably noticed that. Uh, he says in verse uh, 19, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, which incidentally is another Greek mashup. Uh, members of the household is just one Greek word, but Paul is trying to get these ideas here. Built uh, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. So there's at least three metaphors here. I actually think there's four. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, citizens, 
Uh, and that's a very common one for Paul. Paul has talked about this a number of places when we went through Philippians. Remember Philippi, a Roman colony. Uh, Paul would talk a lot about citizenship and uh, how important that is. And, uh, and Paul uh, valued his citizenship, and he's using that as a metaphor to talk about the value that we have, the freedom that we have, the privileges that we have uh, to be citizens of God's country. Um, important this week, you know, we, we think about our citizenship as we get ready to go and vote uh, on, on this, uh, this coming Tuesday. Um, part of what Paul wants us to see here is that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship, citizenship is there, and that is uh, our primary identity. So as we go into the polls, uh, we don't go first and foremost as Americans. We don't go first and foremost as Democrats or Republicans. We go first and foremost as those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. And that, more than our economy, more than anything else, needs to shape how we go into the polls. But citizenship has a certain, you know, while it's great to belong, uh, it, it lacks some intimacy. I mean, we, we don't really know all of the people. We, we have a common bond, but when you go to... Um, D&W, or you go to Family Fair, or wherever you're going shopping, Aldi, uh, you, you will, you, you're like, I, I, you know, we're, we're the same, but I don't really know you. So Paul goes deeper, and he says, we're members of one household. Now we're getting a little bit closer, right? There, there is a sense in which you, you know the people that are in your household, in your family. It could be your family, it could be other people that live, uh, there, exchange students, people that are staying with you, roommates, all of these different things. There is an intimacy there. People see you. They see your habits. Uh, they know the good things. They know the bad things. Like, why doesn't that guy use drawers? Can he ever pick up anything? You know, all of these different things. Uh, so we, there's an intimacy. There's a vulnerability in the household. And, and, and Paul says... Citizenship, household, but then he gets even more intimate because he talks about how we are built into the temple of God. Now, now why would that be more intimate? Well, some of you know that, that at the beginning of, from the beginning to the end of scriptures, the, the, the primary you know, problem, if you will, the crisis that comes into the story is in Genesis 1 and 2, God created Adam and Eve in order that they might have intimate fellowship with God. Uh, Adam, we're told, walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. But then sin entered into the world. And at that time, uh, that intimate fellowship was broken. They were driven out east of Eden. There was an angel with a flaming sword uh, that was placed at the entrance to the garden. Uh, and, and you could not get back in uh, unless blood was shed. So, uh, the, the rest of the story is how is this fellowship, how is this 
presence with God. How, how does that happen again? And uh, we, we see different iterations of it. We remember the tabernacle. And when we went through Exodus, we, we, we studied the tabernacle and we commented at the time how the tabernacle was basically a recreation of Eden. Uh, with all of its uh, purples and blues and stars and all of these different things. And in the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies. Uh, and, and it was in the Holy of Holies that the, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, dwelt in a particular way. And, and through the blood... Uh, the priests, on behalf of the people, was able to enter into the Holy of Holies and, and thereby have that experience, that presence of God. And then that carries over into the temple, which is the, uh, you know, the, the permanent structure where the presence of God dwelt and the priests would enter into it. But you see here where Paul is going with this in terms of our present condition. Our present condition is that the dividing wall of hostility has been broken, has been broken down. We said last week, one of the ways that we see this is when Jesus died on the cross, uh, when he said, it is finished, the temple veil, the, the place that divided the outer courts from the inner courts, from the holy of holies, where God's presence was, that veil was ripped from top to bottom, and we have access, you know, as Paul says, through one spirit to the Father. The presence of God is no longer something that we're separated from, but but it is actually in us. You know, Jesus has given us all of this language where he is the temple. Tear down the temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. Speaking of his body, John tells us, uh, we are united with Christ. Uh, we are the, the temples. We are the receptacles of the Holy Spirit. So now we don't have a relationship where it's just family, and I know you, we, we live really close. We're, we're talking about a relationship in which God indwells us. His Spirit penetrates our very heart and being. And, and that is the good news that, that Paul is saying here about us, not only as individuals, because remember, we are together fitly framed into this temple of God, and collectively, we, we, we bear His indwelt presence. And this is the story of the Scripture. You remember in Revelation, what does God say? Now, the dwelling place of God is with man. And we see the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And if you know the dimensions of the new Jerusalem, it is a cube, right? It's a perfect cube, which is exactly the dimensions of the Holy of Holies. And we just see that this thread throughout all of the Scripture is about the presence of God dwelling. And here's what Paul says, this is the monument to the glory of God, is that God comes and He dwells within this collective group of individuals who are fitly framed together, and that's where God's presence exists. Isn't that amazing? 
I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine sometimes because we, we still, you know, just like as individuals, we, we know who we are and who we belong to, but we still struggle with the old man, the old woman uh, that is in us. And we still struggle with, uh, you know, our failings and we're very aware of them. You know, even like Taylor, we, we say, it's me, I, I'm the problem, it's me. But instead of having nowhere to go, we go back to these truths and say, yes, I am the problem, but you are the solution. Uh, and that is the glory of God. I love verse 18, where we are told that through Him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 22, in Him you are being built together uh, into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Both these verses, we hear those Trinitarian themes coming through. In Him, in Christ, we have access in one Spirit to the Father. This is God's glory. This is what He bends His Trinitarian will towards, is creating this access, creating this this personal dwelling together. This is the glory of God that he works through. Christ, of course, being the chief cornerstone, we see that. It is the atoning work of Christ. I mean, here we are on Reformation Sunday, by grace alone through faith. We recognize that it's not of works. I mean, we saw that just a couple of weeks ago. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Christ has done the work. When he went to that cross, everything that was necessary for your salvation has been completed. And our invitation is to rest in that and in that alone. We cannot save ourselves uh, through our efforts. You can't clean yourself up enough. You cannot uh, escape all of the things that you have thought, done, any of those things. But through Him, through Christ, through His finished work, we have access to the Father uh, through the Spirit. And then, you know, notice, and this is, I mentioned that there was fourth. Uh, maybe four pictures, you know, built on the, the foundation in whom the whole structure being joined together grows, or uh, the NIV has the translation rises. Uh, it grows is probably a little bit better translation. The Greek word there has to do, is often used organically uh, in terms of plants. Uh, that type of thing. So, so here's what, what Paul is saying, is you are coming to God, uh, and part of his glory is that he is animating you. And so Peter says, we come to him, the living stone, and he makes us living stones. So we're not just dead, inanimate objects, uh, but we are living stones that grow together. Uh, that, that rise to the glory of God. And that's the purpose of the church. You know, why, why do we exist? We exist to tell the world a story. That broken, 
beaten down people, people who are insufficient in ourselves, insufficient by ourselves. We have been brought together by the power of God, by the finished work of Christ, uh, in order that we might, uh, might glorify Him, in order that people may see what God is doing in us and bring glory to Him. Here's how one writer puts it. All of this points to how important it is that the church truly embodies the life of God on earth. The church must be faithful to its call because it stands as the monument to the triumph of God over Satan and the powers of evil. If the church does not embody God's love in Christ, then God's victory is diminished. We must celebrate our new identities, walking in good deeds rather than in patterns that formerly enslaved us. We must cultivate communities of restoration and reconciliation where there has been alienation, bitterness, and division. These sort of pursuits are not merely to be part of our doctrinal statements or our official documents, but they must be our urgent priorities. This is, this is the invitation that we have to rise as the church to the monument of God's goodness. Now, we do that mindful of the fact that we hurt each other, mindful of the fact that we mess up, but our hope is always in the power of Christ, you know, that the Spirit is working in us. Two times here in verses 18 and 22, if we take that as a section, we, we see that it's the Spirit's work in us that makes this possible. We do it through the Spirit, relying on the Spirit, sensitive to the work of the Spirit in our life, uh, seeking to allow that to come forward. And we then are greater than the sum of our parts. It's a great message. It's a great, it's a great truth. You know, for Reformation Sunday, you know, what is it? It's the glory of God. What He has done in salvation, how He has made us into the church, what is it? It is the monument to His victory, a monument that stands in the face of the world. And so now we can go out, and I like how Eugene puts it, we can be a colony of heaven in a culture or in a country of death. Think about that. Think about it as you go to the polls, a colony of heaven in a country of death. Think about it as you go to the grocery store. Think about it uh, as we greet one another this morning, whether you are a longtime member or a visitor, a colony of heaven in a country of death. Praise be to God uh, for His creation of the church. With all of our warts, it is God's glory. Uh, that is exhibited. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the way it reminds us uh, that you truly are victorious. For who else uh, could have taken people such as us, fitly framed us together, um, a place for your dwelling, for your habitation, in order that others may see and be attracted to uh, the love that you have shed abroad in our hearts. Father, we do pray that that would be the case. Help us to go out reliant not on ourselves, but on the ministry of the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Respond.
maybe 